When Microsoft finally announced Halo 3 ODST at E3 2009, it was clear that they were going for something drastically different in the Halo franchise. Gone was the familiar face of Master Chief, his flashy armor and superhuman abilities. In its place were perfectly human soldiers, dropped into a city overwhelmed by their common alien enemy, scattered on approach. Playing as a lone human soldier named The Rookie, players were tasked with uncovering clues in order to find out just what happened to the city and, more importantly, the rest of your team in a short four to six hour single player campaign. Was the Halo fandom in love with this change of pace and were they willing to pay full Halo price for less than a full Halo campaign? Well, we talk about this and more as we drop into another trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 56th episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look at one title relevant to the current week in gaming history, and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, and what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're looking back at Halo 3 ODST, released for the Xbox 360 on September 22nd, 2009. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who spends his days teaching kids to stop, drop, and shock. I mean, stop, drop, and roll. Either way, whatever the hell he's teaching those kids, he's my brother, Rob Casson. Hey, Rob. So I've heard that you really have a bad habit of just just dropping in the places unannounced. How's that been working out for you? Well, most of the time I'm welcomed with open arms, but you know there are some places where uh, they just don't really want you doing that, and you you definitely get an earful for it. You know, I would you say that the characters in our game today really dropped in unannounced? Um, I mean, yeah. Yes and kind of, but no, I don't know. They were, it's kind of hard to not announce that when stuff's taking place. Yeah, you know? very true. Very true. So how you doing today? I am doing well. How about yourself? Things are good. Things are good. Before we take a step back, let's talk about the now. What does your week in gaming look like? This week I've done a little bit of Rocket League. Uh <laughs> Some mostly Timberborn, a very fun game. Definitely should check that out. And laughingly, uh, I did a little bit of PGA 2K21. (laughs) I noticed that. I had to. Didn't you go golfing for real? I sure did. So you went golfing for real, then you had to come back and do golfing for fake. Well, as it turns out, Damon really loves golf. And when we got home, he really wanted to play a golfing game. So, you know, it was it was cheap enough on online. So we all picked it up and decided to play. Is it, it good? I mean, it's it's if you enjoy golf and being competitive, it's actually pretty fun. I won't lie. Because I used to play that. And as someone who hated golf, I used before, to play like, the heck out of golf games. Like I used to own every Tiger Woods PGA golf and then whatever came after that for a few times uh, every year. See, I just remember like Dangerous Golf, I think it was called. Um, I, I have da- I have a Dangerous Golf. No, um, God, it was the Sony one I used to play all the time. Hot Shots Golf, maybe? That sounds Yeah, familiar. I loved that. I used to play all those. I used to love all of those. Yeah, it was Hot Shots. You, you, we, you and Dad yeah. used to play in the living room. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So a lot of a lot of stuff. Um, let's see my, what have you my been playing? week, uh, rocket league, of course. Um, I also, I kind of had a productive, uh, week. Uh, I managed to finally finish ghost of Tsushima. And I, I have to say that is, we've talked a, a few times about games that are just works of art. And I think that that game definitely fits the category. It is, it is a beautiful game. The aesthetic is beautiful. 
the gameplay is fluid the story is beautiful from beginning to finish it was just so worth the ride so um i'm glad uh i'm glad glad i got to experience that i also finished the game we're playing today uh so i got a chance to play halo odst it's the first time i ever played it so i finished that i finished a puzzle game called super liminal which was a lot of fun played as a puzzle game that played with perspective um that was really amusing and i think that that's it I think that's it. I think I played I played some Diablo in the last week too. We still haven't finished the first Diablo and now we're, you know, up days away from Diablo 2 Resurrected coming out and haven't gotten myself ready for that. Uh yeah. So I got some I got some good gaming done in the last week. So Sounds like a productive gaming week to me. It was. Dave. It was. We still really need to finish Diablo though. We'll be there soon. <laughs> I know. But more importantly, on to Halo. On to Halo. On to Halo ODST. And our story today begins with none other than Peter Jackson. Yep, that Peter Jackson. uh, If you're a nerd like a lot of us, uh, he is the filmmaker that is best known for his cinematic portrayal of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings universe. Maybe you know him as the director of King Kong. I don't know. So in 2005, it was confirmed that Peter Jackson was set to produce a Halo film, along with Neil Blomkamp directing. Uh, It was intended to be filmed as a live-action film uh, with special effects, uh, props, costumes. It was basically going to be the same visual effects teams that worked on the Lord of the Rings series, the the, uh, WIDA workshop. And they were going to make a Halo live-action movie. In 2006, as part of this collaboration, Microsoft Game Studios and Peter Jackson came together to create a video game development studio that was called Wingnut Interactive. Wingnut's first project was supposed to be an episodic interactive storytelling project set in the Halo universe, and it was to be developed for the Xbox 360. It was going to be called Halo Chronicles. Okay, you ever heard of Halo Chronicles? I hope not. But I'm interested. (laughs) So Halo Chronicles was going to be a game that was said to focus on the intimate personal aspect of war. Uh, Their idea was that you were going to play as an ordinary Marine, not as a Spartan. And at some point during the game, you would acquire an alien arm. And this arm would eventually turn you into a powerful forerunner warrior that would be known as a Promethean. Sound familiar? Uh, Yeah, no, it sure does. Kind of does, right? Aside from the normal way to play a first-person shooter, there was a different combat mode that you could switch to. There was, uh, it was basically a melee mode. You could only deal damage through a powerful melee attack. You would have a few weapons available to you, one that could push enemies away, one that would stun them in place. You could double jump. And there was also a long distance dash that could be initiated from mid air to do some some weird, you know, battle and platforming type things. So the game took these concepts and they they prototyped them by testing them in modified versions of the first five missions of Halo 3, because, of course, this all came just after Halo 3 released. One of the other ideas they tossed around for Halo Chronicles is that they had intended for the player to be something even more once they turn into a Promethean. So as a Promethean, you could fly in low orbit and fight Covenant cruisers with the ability to turn yourself into a missile and target specific parts of the ship. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) All right. So here we have Halo Chronicles. And as there's a team working on trying to make this all work, there's problems brewing with the film. Basically, the producers of the film, the the money of the film, Universal Studios and 20th Century Fox did not want to spend the money that they were being asked to spend on the film. They they just the the Peter Jackson crew 
and the money crew, they, they couldn't all come to an agreement on what this was going to cost. And so Universal Studios and 20th Century Fox, they pulled out of the film. The funding was lost. And basically the film was dead, 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 dead. So uh, just a side note about the film. Rob, have you ever seen District 9, the movie? I sure have, Dave. It's uh, an odd one, to be sure. So when plans for the Halo film fell through, Peter Jackson and Neil Blomkamp started production on District 9, and a lot of the elements that they were going to use in the canceled Halo film were either reused or readapted for District 9, uh, including the basic Warthog design, which are the vehicles they use in the District 9 movie. So... If if you if you've never seen it or you haven't seen it in a while, go back and revisit it with that mindset that it it is it has the underpinnings of a, a Halo movie because they use some of the elements. So, I mean, I could I could understand I could see it a little bit. The thing was, once there was no Halo film deal, there really wasn't a Halo game either. Uh, when the film died, the interest in Chronicles died, and at that point too. There's said to be some friction between Bungie and the Wingnut team. They were having creative differences and everything Peter Jackson and Bungie Microsoft together just kind of all fell apart at one time uh, here in late 2006. And so here we have uh, a team that worked on Halo Chronicles, a canceled game. They no longer had a project. They were a separate team than Halo Reach. This was about the time when Halo Reach production was beginning. And Bungie kind of saw a little window uh, of time in which the smaller development team could work on a new product. And what they envisioned was basically a two to three hour mini campaign. You know, up until this time, every project Bungie had worked on was three, four, you know, three plus years. And halo reach was looking to be you know they were looking at, at the same concept and so they really just wanted to create a game that was going to be a small little mini sewed to bridge the gap between halo 3 and halo reach so and they took the concepts at this point all the concept that they had already envisioned for halo chronicles and with that they kind of already had a game engine assembled you know so you've got a game engine. What they knew, you know, was that they wanted to continue to do something different to the classic Halo format, which really, I mean, it it was the same thing. Because up until this point, all we had were Halo 1, 2, and 3. You know what I mean? Right. There wasn't, now there's Halo Wars and, and you, you have other games that are Halo. But at the time... We, we didn't have anything like that. This is before all that. So all we had was the core Halo series and Bungie knew that they wanted to expand those horizons. So for the, for, for the first few weeks, the team debated over what character they wanted to focus on, right? Because, you know, if they went with Master Chief or the Arbiter, uh, it wouldn't have been very different from the first three games. And of course, if you reuse those protagonists, you you bring along with you all the baggage from the stories that where there are where there are stories and their expectations. You know, you can't you can't you can't suddenly do a one eighty on Master Chief if he's been this badass that can you know bring down worlds with his hand and turn him into something different on the on the you know turn you can't you just can't turn on a dime right right. At one point, they even considered making the game a Covenant-themed story, you know, because they had the Arbiter and the Covenant, you know, about an elite strike force. Instead, they kept coming back to focus on human characters. They knew that people were going to relate to human characters. At one point, they even decided that they, not decided, but considered that they were going to make a game following Avery Johnson, but obviously that was scrapped too, and they eventually settled on the ODSTs. The ODSTs were kind of a fan favorite at that point. You know, they had been featured alongside uh, Master Chief and some of the other games, but we didn't really know much about them. Um, so they decided to go back to the ODSTs. So we had the characters in place. Now the team had to focus on a setting, and they recognized that the fans wanted to know what was happening on Earth after the events of Halo 2. You know, they 
wanted to know how humanity was continuing to defend itself against against the alien against the aliens, right? And so they it was decided they were going to return to a previous setting because we had already been to Earth. You know, they, like I said, they wanted to know what was happening after the events of Halo 2. So we were going back to New Mombasa and all these places that we had kind of already visited through the, you know, through the first Halo storyline. Um, and we were coming back to them. And the concept was, how can we revisit this area, but look at it differently? You know, they they wanted to, they wanted the artist to have a chance to paint these scene these these uh these areas in a different light quite literally actually because it was kind of through this concept is where the it was decided that the players were going to visit the city at night and then of course at nighttime is how the team was inspired to go for a film noir ambience which is a key part of the atmosphere of this game you know rob even before i i when I told a few of my friends that I was playing ODST for the first time, one of them literally said, enjoy the atmosphere. You're, you're not going to have experience before, you know? And he's right. There is not another Halo game that plays remotely like this one does. It's, it's part of it. Okay, I should say this. Part of it plays very much like a Halo game, whereas part of it plays very different from any other Halo game. I think that's a much more fair statement. So, yeah, I can agree. Once they had the genre, they knew they were going to night. They knew they were going to film noir. And this influenced the character names and roles. Hence, we have, quote, unquote, the rookie who is a lone hard-boiled detective. Uh, and part of his thing is he he goes around the city finding clues about what happened to his team. We'll kind of get to that when we get back into the gameplay. So, But as part of his exploration, he... It's an open world, right? You don't have to take one path to find the clues. You can go in and out of buildings. You can go through the city. You go back and forth, you know? And this game features this open world that's very that's very different from any other Halo game. All the other Halo games are linear, you know? This is, this is really the first time they ever did anything like that. And so with it, they had to kind of tweak some gameplay aspects um you know for the open world they added an an overhead map and this was the first halo game in the franchise to have an overhead map you know because the odsts were different from master chief they had to revamp the weapons uh part of the nature of dropping into places is you you try to maybe be unnoticed and so they gave them silenced weapons they revamped the pistol um they also had to tweak the ai you know in in a traditional halo game the AI always knows from which direction the player would be coming from, but this is an open world game in some parts. And so they had to adapt the covenant to patrol the city in groups and make them so they would react from whichever direction you attack from and still look believable while doing it. So they had to rewrite the AI that we, they had been using, you know, in Halo three to, to, to roll with this open world concept. And then lastly, they also had kind of tweaked the game graphics engine from Halo 3. You know, they added a full-scale shader system. They added parallax mapping. You know, this gives you greater detail and realism and really adds to the, the dripping atmosphere, uh, you know, at nighttime because you get a lot more fidelity out of your lighting sources when you have the, the different shader systems and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, ODST wasn't just a new game thrown on the halo 3 engine it it had they they had to upgrade they had to upgrade you know it they had to upgrade that's what i'm gonna go with they had to they had to upgrade you know right anything you want to elaborate on in the midst there um i think you're doing a pretty good job of it I mean, there's only so much you can touch on with the game, although it, the ambiance is definitely uh, is very unique and does a great job of with each character. And um, well, I know we talk about it later, but some of the voice acting in this is also really good, you know, yeah. knowing some of them as who they are. Very true. So, you know, we'll get to the audio in just a moment, but let's talk about their multiplayer for a second. eh? Okay. 
So ODST shipped with Halo 3's multiplayer. It's it's one of the sore spots for a lot of people in the game because they didn't really do anything new with the multiplayer with there being one exception to that statement, and that's Fireflight Fire Fight Mode. Um I want to talk about Firefight. We'll talk about the again when we get back into the gameplay, we'll talk about it. But know from the 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 know from the development standpoint, it was a last minute decision to add it. It was something that they had thought about for Halo 3. They kind of prototyped it, you know, thought about it, prototyped it right after Halo 3 had shipped, but they really didn't decide to add it until the last minute. Uh, Good thing it, they did. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so we have all this planning. Bungie begins all this work on ODST in March of 2018. Uh, in the end, it ended up being the first Bungie title that was completed in less than three years. Uh, production on this game only lasted about 14 months. Um, so they start work on ODST in March of 2018. Uh, 20, 2008. I said 2018. It's 2008. Into 2018. Um, by December of 2008, roughly what, uh, nine months? Nine months later? Nine months later, the game was said to be representational, meaning that players could experience the game from start to finish, even though parts of it were unfinished. One of the things that was unfinished was any dialogue. Uh, the version of the game that was representational was said to have placeholder, placeholder audio, probably one of the game designers reading the audio instead. Um, it was at this point that the entire Bungie staff, they were all pulled from their other duties to play through this game and offer feedback. And the result is that just before the uh, E3 2009, which is what June I think is E3, isn't June? Um, just before E3 2009, the game was completed. They took all the feedback, did all the audio recording, they did all that, and they got it done in time for its presentation at 2009 E3. Um, so yeah, now on to the audio real quick, uh, because you were kind of talking about the ambiance a moment ago. So ODST's music was composed by the same artist as the previous Halo games, which is Martin O'Donnell and his part, his 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 writing partner Michael Salvatore. Um, but unlike previous Halo games, there's no choral music here. There's no Halo chant. They don't revisit any of the previous Halo themes. Basically, from O'Donnell's standpoint, there wasn't a Master Chief, so there was no Master Chief music. You know, they created a whole new soundtrack for this game. You know, for the rookies part, which is a you know investigation part. They wanted to write music that fit the film noir theme, and so they wrote this this little jazz influenced ensemble that went with the noir. But aside from that, there weren't any themes written specifically for any of the characters. Um, they kind of wrote this music, and as the writing progressed, they were finding that characters, you know, eventually were paired with the themes that best suit their characters, but really really they're not assigned to them in any way. Um, and then that brings us to the voiceovers. You were just talking about the voiceovers, right? Absolutely. What do you like about the voiceovers? Well, the first voice that stuck out to me was naturally that of Buck or Nathan Fillion. Um, growing up, I got introduced to Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Thanks to you as is the great, uh, Neil Patrick Harris and Nathan Fillion. Uh, so every time I heard him talk, that's all I could think of. I could just envision his character from that, which if you've never seen it, give it a watch. It's great. <laughs> well, you may be a fan of Dr. Horrible, but, and maybe members of Bungie's are too, but more notably Bungie is a fan of the television series Firefly. You ever watched Firefly? Surprisingly not. I have Firefly and Serenity. They're good. It's a good show in a movie. So of the four main characters in ODST, three of them are voiced by actors from the Firefly series. Nathan Fillion, Adam Baldwin, and Alan Tudyk. Um, I mean, if that, you know, obviously they're huge sci-fi nerds. If that wasn't obvious enough, 
uh, the agent, the Oni agent, Veronica Dare, that was voiced by Trisha Helfer, who is a prominent character. She's number six on Battlestar Galactica. She was every sci-fi nerd's wet dream for a while. So yeah, they got a lot of, uh, they got a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of really, you know, powerful stuff uh, for this. And then, of course, for Nathan and Veronica, you know, they they also license their likenesses. So Buck looks like Nathan Fillion and um, Veronica looks like Trisha, too. So honestly, I having never played this, but playing all the other Halos and, and you know, Buck Buck is in future Halos. I forgot. I, I didn't know that Buck was introduced here. That was honestly a surprise to me. So. It was a pleasant surprise. I had no clue this is where Buck got to start. Yeah, I honestly couldn't have told you that either. So, but uh, yeah. So, 14 months. One canceled Halo Chronicles game. One canceled Halo live action movie. One failed partnership between Peter Jackson and Microsoft. Period. I was going to say Game Studios, but, you know, obviously he pulled back from everything. And um, the result is Halo 3 ODST. And Rob, this was the first time I ever played it, so we get to talk about it. Sounds good, Dave. Did you get a chance to play it this weekend? I did not, but I did play quite a bit of it when I was younger, uh, especially the firefight mode. That was actually where most of my time with this game was spent. I... Honestly, don't know if I've ever played firefight mode. So let's talk about that real quick. Tell me about firefight mode. Firefight mode was either a single or cooperative campaign mode where you can fight waves of covenant attackers. So different maps based on the actual maps or stages that you play in the game, you would just get increasingly difficulty increasing difficult waves of enemies no different than if you played the wave mode in like gears of war yeah it wasn't gears of war 2 the first one that did it um i think it was it was either two uh, or three but it it was it was two i'm sure it was two gotcha so it was basically the same thing um it just the more difficult it got um or the more raves that you went on the more difficult it got skulls were activated between rounds and sets um, and then it would obviously just make it more and more difficult. What was the draw? Like is it, it I, okay. I did do halo three multiplayer. This is about the time when you had levels and like you could earn medals. And isn't this about the time when Bungie started to do significant stat recording? If I remember correctly, I'm not sure about the stat recording, I guess probably, but I do know that you could get, uh, achievements and things for going through the firefight modes hmm. and i mean honestly it, the draw for me was that it was something different playing halo with not just the the idea of i have to kill other people or my friends it's more i get to play a increasingly difficult thing i mean think of call of duty zombies what's the draw you do the same thing over and over again but it gets harder and it gets more enjoyable because it's getting harder and you have to think of new ways to do it it's no different than with this because it's just it gets harder and you have to think what can i do to keep going and get to the end well not if there ever really is an end so is this cooperative like do you actually have to work together or is it cooperative in the everyone picks a side and kills all the enemies coming their way type cooperative. You get what I'm saying? You definitely have to be cooperative with it. Uh, different places, things are spawning from and large enemies such as the hunters coming from certain areas, not being in every area. It definitely has to take into consideration you having to work together with your teammates. It's, I mean, yes, you could absolutely probably get away with the every man take a sector and that's your sector. But I feel that sometimes it can get overwhelming in one area and you have to have that backup. I gotcha. Well, otherwise, the game came with the Halo 3 multiplayer, so there wasn't really anything new in that respect. We we'd already been playing a ton of it with Halo 3, and we weren't about to stop playing this with um, with with ODST. You know what I mean? Right. 
So I remember, I remember when ODST came out. I remember prior, you know, I I worked at Best Buy at the time. I'm pretty sure I worked in the gaming department when this was a thing. And I remember the boxes upon boxes of pre-orders back when we used to actually get physical pre-orders. They would come in boxes that had things. The draw to pre-ordering ODST was that, and and it might not have come until you bought the real game, but it was access to the Halo Reach beta. And that's what a lot of people wanted was, was, you know, was beta access to the, the next real game in the Halo series, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in fact, I still had, I had some of those ODST boxes after the game came out. Cause we had, they, they were, they were literally just empty Xbox cases with, you know, the advertisement for the game and what the pre-order came with in it. And afterwards, I'm pretty sure I took a box of them home because they would just get thrown out and I would use them to make fake like like fake cases or cases for games that uh, like if I bought a game from GameStop that didn't come with the case, I would put it in one of those and then go online to get the cover and actually print it and, sl- and slip the DVD cover in it. So those uh, Halo ODST cases came in handy for a long, long time. I had them for years upon years. <laughs> Because I had so many of them. I literally remember having one or two boxes full of them at one point. So let's talk about ODST single player. Uh, have you ever finished the game? Not not that I can remember, no. I did. I do know most of the cutscenes from it because I have watched the, the cutscenes through the game. Uh, so I do know a lot of the storyline through it. But I don't know that I've ever actually gotten to the end myself. Gotcha. But we can talk about the gameplay. So... It's the first Halo game in which you're not Master Chief, right? Correct. And how how is that different? Like what what's different about being Master Chief versus being an ODST? Well, I feel you take damage a lot more often. It's yeah. a lot harder to survive. Um, I swear that I remember like jetpacks and things with Master Chief that aren't in here. Maybe I'm just remembering incorrectly. No, um, I mean timing wise, it's a little different. You don't you don't have the superhuman stuff from Master Chief. That that is correct. So other than that, I mean, obviously they like we talked about earlier, the weapons are different. Uh, it's not just that run and gun style that was so familiar with Halo. It's, it's a lot. There's actually some tactical playing that you have to do in this one. Yeah, that was probably the hardest transition for me because you don't have dual wielding. You know, Master Chief can hold a gun in each hand and just bring down the house. And you couldn't do that. You know, that this this game encouraged a, a softer touch at a lot of times. You know, because you had silenced, silenced, silenced SMGs and so on and so forth. And um, it was an open world concept. Okay, so... The way the game plot is written is is it was weird, honestly, to me at first. It took me two or three chapters before I actually understood what happened. So, you know, as ODSTs, you drop into the city and, and your squad gets, you know, you get split up. Uh, the, the drop gets screwed up by the uh, it was a slip space incident. I don't remember what it's called top of my head, but it was a slip space incident. And basically the ODSTs get thrown in every which direction. And so the game starts with you as a rookie, a name, nameless rookie waking up at night in the city and basically wander through the city, finding clues and following in the footsteps of all the other ODSTs. So every, so you, you go through this open world, it's like a hub and you find a clue. And when you pick up the clue, it takes you to a mission that is that ODST and what happened to him. So basically as the rookie, you're trying to sneak your way through the city at night, finding all the clues to put together the mystery of what happened to your entire squad. And then every time you find a clue, you actually play the mission of what happened to the squad. So the rookie part is very different, very you know, jazz music, nighttime, rainy, dark, 
you know, kind of cool, kind of murder mystery esque type thing. And then when you go to do the OST squad, those missions are very I mean, they're 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 more closer to a traditional Halo game than um than than the noir stuff is. So you kind of have this weird at least in my opinion, I feel like there's two games. I feel like there's a very different way to tell a story that was very cool with the murder with the mystery aspect and then it would take you to basically an ODST mission that felt very Halo-esque to me. Um, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, the missions, you know, there was one where you had to drive a warthog down the highway and another where you had to drive a scorpion through a town and another where you had to fly, you had to fly a wraith uh, through, a, through a flooded city whether you're an ODST or uh, our Master Chief, the mission's not going to change much. Vehicle missions aren't going to change much. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, it's all going to be very similar. But yes, uh... yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with all these notions that this game was so unbelievably different than all the other Halos. I think its narrative structure was very different than all the other Halos. I think the new war concept, the open world concept, and maybe the stuff you talked about, a little bit of the humanity was different, but I feel that very much some of the squad, some of the missions like we just talked about, a lot of them were very just squarely Halo. I I, I mean, you're not going to change. It doesn't matter who the hell is flying a Wraith. It's still a Wraith. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, but it was cool. Once I understood what was going on, I'm not even going to lie. Like, and I felt kind of stupid because I, I, you know, I really didn't understand for the first couple of missions, like what was happening as I was bouncing back and forth, even with the achievements. I mean, the achievements literally say found the first clue in the mystery, found the second clue in the mystery. And it wasn't really until the third one that I was like, Oh, the clues and now we're going back to see what actually happened. I get it now. So I mean, it took me a hot minute to understand it. And that might've just been because I, I brought my own prior expectations on halo into this, you know? Yeah, um, that's probably why. Cause I mean, I remember when I first played that I picked up on it pretty quick. And obviously, like you said, the achievements make all the difference in the world. Cause they kind of just straight up tell you. But I didn't know I didn't know what to expect. Like I didn't I didn't know the story. I didn't all I all I knew about ODST go and I don't know why I never played it. I don't remember why it slipped underneath the radar. I I I we can probably and I know we will momentarily look at some of the other games that came out that year and I could probably tell you exactly what I was doing instead of instead of playing this. If it was 2009 I don't know. Maybe there was a Borderlands out at the time. Um, Arkham. I don't. I, I'm trying to think what else came out around that time. I was probably on one of those games. I like Halo, but I'm not fanatic about Halo. Like, a, like I, I. I mean, I have friends that are nuts about Halo, and those friends have begrudgingly dragged me through the whole series on Legendary. So, I mean, there's always that. <laughs> Well, up until four, at least for the first few, Damon and I were those friends that would drag others through the legendary mode with a lot of the skulls active. So I definitely had the love for it. That's why when I got this game, I played through it, although I didn't finish the campaign um, because Firefight was a. Well, I know that it was just that for me, Firefight was just so much more appealing because it was such a new concept at the time. And honestly, like, I don't know, the story didn't draw me as much at the time, but looking back i feel that i probably should give it another playthrough because it's a pretty interesting story i honestly couldn't have put more than four or five hours into it it's not it's not a huge addition although i will tell you that uh so one other fun fact about this i played this as part of the halo uh master chief collection which is available on available pretty much everywhere it's on steam it's on xbox it's on it's on this you know game pass so i downloaded it on game pass onto my pc so this was the first halo game i ever played as mouse and keyboard and and that was very different too 
that was very different too. That was a unique experience. And now I kind of want to go back and play the others in mouse and keyboard to see if they, to see if I, to see if it's different for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, we all played through the other, I mean, I've played through all five on legendary at this point. So, um, I'm curious to see like how that would translate to a mouse and keyboard because I didn't. And look, I only played this one on normal. So I, I, you know, I, I, I didn't know how much time I would have. I had other things to do. I really wasn't interested in, in, you know, challenging myself just to get it done for this podcast episode. But, um, I, again, I'm just really curious to see, what the thing is and maybe i can get some firefight in and finally see what it's all about who knows so yeah sounds like a good plan to me anything else about the game that that i didn't touch on that maybe you're, you can think of i i don't know i i think i think uh i think it all came together pretty nicely yeah, no, I think you did a great job of hitting everything that it had to offer. I mean, if there's other stuff, then obviously neither of us know about it. Well, you know, one of the biggest points of contention with this game, it rates pretty well overall in the 80s. It's it's not it's not one of the most favorite Halos. But the biggest problem was that when it came out, it was offered it was sold as a $60 full game and with a mostly rehatched multiplayer with only the addition of firefight and only about a four or five hour campaign, people were really conflicted over whether or not it was worth whether or not it was worth it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I want to hear your opinion on it, but before that, I think this is a good time to see what other people thought of halo, because as we go through the reviews, both of critics and, other players you're going to find that a lot of people struggled with this concept and i think that it really clouded people's judgment on this game so rob on to reviews my friend all right dave so right up upon release odst became the top selling xbox 360 game worldwide overall it sold more than 3 million copies worldwide but it came with a $60 price tag, and reviewers were really split on whether or not it was worth that, given that you could play through its campaign in about four to six hours, and it was ha- and it was packaged with Halo 3's multiplayer with the Firefight Edition. So, not a whole lot different, but, you know, for some, like myself, I definitely could see it being worth it. <laughs> so, with that, Jeff Marchiafava with Game Informer wrote that, Though I enjoyed Halo 3 ODST, my praise comes with a few caveats. On one hand, the campaign is shorter than Halo fans are used to, and considerably smaller in scale. On the other hand, I can't get enough of the game. Ultimately, he would finish after elaborating, saying that Bungie's newest adventure won't sway those who have made up their minds about the series. Halo haters will dismiss ODST as more of the same, while diehard fans will proclaim it was the greatest thing since... well... Halo 3. Someplace in the middle is where ODST will make its biggest impact. Yeah, fair. Next up, we have Anthony Galagos, who wrote in his GameSpy review that while ODST could have been a lot different from other games in the franchise, it is what it is. A great Halo game with a fun, cleverly told story and a fantastic new multiplayer mode. Perhaps somewhat down the line, my dreams of an actual squad-based ODST game will be realized. For now... I have an entertaining game with a multiplayer component I know I'll come back to again and again. If nothing else, ODST proves that you don't need a space ring or Master Chief to make a good Halo game. So imagine that for a second, because that's way more your style than it is mine. What would you think about an actual squad-based Halo game? More like a, a, a Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six you know, but but with the ODSTs, you get what I'm saying? If that's what they're saying with that, I think that would actually be pretty freaking cool. Um, each operator having their own special skill and going up against other teams or taking on special missions like that. I think that would be pretty damn cool. Yeah, I think that'd be pretty cool, too. I I I like squad. Well, we we like squad squad based play. Battlefield's more squad based play, too, you know? 
Halo Halo's multiplayer doesn't really contribute to squad based play in the same in the same way in any way, shape, or form. So it it would be it would definitely be something new for the series if they ever found a way to incorporate it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. All right, carry on. So next we have Tom McShay, who in his GameSpot review thought that ODST was an excellent package. The delicate construction of the story adds a new wrinkle to the typical Halo plot, and the action-packed campaign levels are full of intense battles and surprising encounters. Firefight mode is a standout addition, crafting highly cooperative battles for players to experience. It's disappointing that the competitive multiplayer hasn't received any updates from Halo 3, but it's as fun as it ever was. ODST is a superb addition to the franchise and a must-play for anyone who craves top-notch action. On the other hand, Ben Kuchera with Ars Technica wrote that with there being so little in terms of new content and ideas, the $60 price point and the complete repackaging of an earlier game's multiplayer would mean that gamers would scream bloody murder if this were anything but a Halo title. That's probably true. This, This... This game got a lot of grace because it was a Halo title. I mean, if any, I, I, I just think that's absolutely true. I think that if you take any lesser popular series and try to do the same thing, it wouldn't go over nearly as well. So, I mean, I can absolutely see how that would be the case. But, uh, you know, Halo. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, so Tom Bromwell with Eurogamer seems to agree with Ben saying that horribly it's that price tag that ultimately does it for Halo 3 ODST. This is a marvelous campaign and it's clever pacing, shifting focus and expert storytelling all heap effortlessly under cover of Halo 3. Our fear had been that the orbital drop shock troopers would struggle to escape the master chief shadow, but the developers improved craft means so they had no difficulty doing so over a short distance. Instead it's the shadow cast by Halo 3 itself and its contemporaries since then that proved slightly too long and bored for Bungie's valiant efforts of the past 18 months to escape. Because no matter the quality of what's on offer, they can't reasonably make the same demand of your wallet, and yet they do. It's all the more disappointing because as a roadmap to the future of Halo, Halo 3 ODST is fantastic. Yeah, it is. And I don't think they've really done anything like it since, unfortunately, so... No, they definitely haven't. Also, creepy, you type 666 in there. No, it's not me. There's a cat laying on the keyboard. Mm-hmm. Well, that cat's the devil, and you should probably uh, <laughs> exercise it from your home. So they like to lay on the edge of my keyboard, and my new keyboard has the G keys down the left side, six of them. And when you press them, and you don't have them programmed as a ma- ma- macro, they just do the, their number keys. So he likes to lean on it, and he just leaned on the number six. Loki, you just put 666 in, dude. So, obviously, we have mixed reviews that come from our critics, and the reviews posted online by gamers themselves seem to be just about as mixed as well. John H. from Moby Games wrote that Halo 3 ODST is a gorgeous spectacle undermined by its short story. He writes that the game is like watching a more cyberpunky version of Star Wars and Blade Runner rolled into one package. With that being said, the story was a bit short and not fully exploring of the Halo lore. He felt that it didn't really add anything, nor did it attract anything either. Next, we have user Asinine on Moby Games, who was on the other side, writing that even if we don't compare it to the previous Halo, it disappoints. The game only lasts a few good hours and is full of boring sequences that take longer than the mission they are leading you to. The voice actors do a pretty good job, and the gameplay is acceptable, but this is an expansion pack at best, and a big DLC at worst. It's not worth the money you'd pay for a standalone game. Yeah, there it is again. Another comparison. Everyone really struggled with the concept of of it being a, a, a full $60 game. So... Yeah, no, I, I, I think that maybe $60 game was a little rough, but... Uh... You know, buy it on sale. It wouldn't have been as bad. <laughs> so next. <clears throat> oh, never mind. So even though it has a favorable score of 83 on Metacritic, there were a lot of fans who were lukewarm or just not happy with ODST. 
Kloborg writes that some people love the storytelling and style of this game, but ultimately, as a Halo fan, it was a huge disappointment. I played ODST for about a week before stopping altogether. Do I regret buying it? Not entirely. For one, I now have all the Halo 3 maps on a single disc, and my hard drive has much more space. Two, I was able to complete the achievements towards getting recon armor in Halo 3. And finally, I was able to participate in the Reach beta. All that aside, I found this game terrible. I'm a huge Halo Combat Evolved to Halo Reach fan, and I found this game terrible. Take from this what you will. Well, Kloborg was not a fan of what they tried to do here. That's for sure. I mean, to each their own. Some will love it, some will hate it. There's always some. So next we have Swimming Mago, who didn't like the price tag and gave ODST a 5 out of 10 because of it. He wrote that if this would have been released as DLC, it would warrant a better score from a 6, maybe 7. However, because of the price tag, I have to deduct points from it. The game doesn't deserve anything else other than a 5 because it simply isn't enough to get a better score when you have to pay full when you have to pay full price for it. The dude was also disappointed, writing that most of the content is content that most Halo fans have already paid for, since the main multiplayer is Halo 3's multiplayer. Tacked on, you get firefight mode, which will get old fairly fast. The only other new content is the super short campaign. There were a lot of great games last year, including Modern Warfare 2, Left 4 Dead 2... Guitar Hero 5, Borderlands, Arkham Asylum. Compared to those, this game was a terrible waste of money. (laughs) And Gavin M. seems to agree. He writes that ODST is a serviceable game. It doesn't do anything new or isn't exactly memorable, but it is an enjoyable game when you don't take in the Halo name or hype buildup. He feels that if it wasn't a Halo game, though, it would wash away in a sea of better games that came in the fourth quarter of that year. So, people generally liked it. It sold well and was favorably reviewed, but people really didn't like that price tag. Definitely think it would have gotten more stellar marks across the board if they would have priced it just a little more reasonably. Like I said, you considered half the price, maybe a DLC pricing, this game probably would have been top of the charts for its year, but it was actually top of the charts for its year. Well, uh, it then was the for best more people, it was the best selling game of 2009. <laughs> then I don't know what all these people are talking about because they, well, okay. They were upset because they spent that money. So That's just because it's a best selling game, they still could be upset that they spent so much on it. It still could have been the best selling game at half the cost or something even a little more reasonable, like maybe 40% of the cost or something. I don't so, know. So you think, it's, so you think that it's, it, it was perfectly appropriate and fine that it was a, a advertised and sold as a $60 full halo game. You, I mean, you bought it. I honestly couldn't tell you if it was bought on sale or not. I realistically could not tell you. I don't, even know that I bought this for myself. This was probably a gift from you or mom and dad. You know, it's funny that you say that because my Xbox 360 version, I own it and it's still in the wrap. So I have it. I don't remember when I bought it or for what price, but I have it and it's still in the wrap. It's it's a sealed copy of this game for 360. So, well, I know for a fact that mine is open because I walk past it every single day. Uh, you know, I, I never played it, so I don't know how much my opinion counts, but I do think that, I do think that it probably would have gotten a lot better reception and it got good reception, but I think that people would have been more in love with it if it was more like a $40 game. Um, and that seems to be kind of the thing nowadays when we repackage content and try to resell it, it's very rare that you see a game trying to ask full price for it over again. Most of the time they've learned their lesson and they pile it back to that like $40 price point. Kind of like uh, Diablo 2 Resurrected coming up soon. They're not about to ask 60 bucks for the game again. They're asking 40 for the remaster. Um, and Which, 
I think makes sense. You know, it's not a new game. It's just a redesigned game in a sense. And if yeah. you're bringing absolutely new content, I can understand going for the full price. But with being largely something else, people aren't going to want to necessarily pay top dollar for that. No, I do think, though, that people don't realize that sometimes you have to put a lot of time into remasters, too. You know, it, it may not be the design, but your art team, in the case of a remaster, still kind of has to work on touching up art assets. And, you know, your programmers potentially have to work on what that means for the rest of the game in terms of performance hits when you do scale up said assets. So, uh, you know, to be fair more goes into a game than a lot of people realize even when it is a remaster but i still think i know for me and look i don't buy a lot of games at full price it is so rare for me to buy a game at full price i think the only game i bought at full price in the past two years three years animal crossing new horizons but that was a birthday gift bought for me but it was one i asked for by my wife so i guess that kind of counts um and borderlands 3 because i am a huge borderlands fan but for each person like me that's a huge borderlands fan you have millions that are huge halo fans and i i get it i do you know we all we all have those things that we're willing to pay the money for mine just happens to be borderlands and not halo you know what i mean nothing wrong with that we all have our series I wonder if there's any other games I've I I'm I don't think there are. I'm pretty sure that's the only one I've I've bought full price in the last couple of years. So. I can't say the same. No, you can't. <laughs> no, but that's OK. We all have the things that we like, right? Absolutely. So I don't know. I guess we're all and I mean, most people liked Halo 3 ODST. So it's a good game. If you like Halo you will like ODST. There's no answers about it. If you don't like Halo, I, I I don't know if you'd like ODST. It doesn't do anything different. In my eyes, it's not different enough from a Halo game to not make that association. You get what I'm saying? Right. So, but if you like Halo and you never played ODST, it's worth it. Especially now, it's part of the Master Chief Collection. Man, I gotta tell you, that Master Chief Collection, that's a hell of a value. It's like, what, 40 bucks for all four Halos and all of its multiplayer content and ODST or something like that? I think ODST might have been a, a DLC, but it's five bucks of an add-on for it. Um, that's awesome. That's awesome. Like, Yeah, Master, no, it absolutely Ma is. Master Chief Collection is just a stellar, stellar uh value and it kind of made me want to hit up some halo multiplayer again it's been a long time since i've gotten to do some halo multiplayer so yeah, yeah i can absolutely say the same it's been quite a long time i mean and we've all done hours doing halo man i had a land party at our house in which we did halo multiplayer <sighs> oh yeah i used to play it all the time at the house with damon and a few of other friends um but, you know, Halo 5, Halo 4, Halo 4, we were still pretty big into, but it was mostly Halo 3. That was the big one we would spend. Yeah. Literally, when uh, Damon lived with me or lived at the house for a while after you moved away, we would literally spend all night playing Halo and go to school the next day on no sleep because we stayed up all night playing Halo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Halo 3 was the plateau for me, too. I, I I don't know if I've ever really touched the multiplayer in 4, um, other than playing through the campaign on co-op, and I know I've never touched Halo 5 multiplayer. I, I, you know what? That's not true. I may have played one game waiting for someone to get online so we could finish our co-op campaign, but um, Halo 3 was definitely the heyday. Maybe, maybe Infinite will make me want to get drawn back into the series. Who knows? so we shall know. see we shall see well i think that's halo 3 i think uh my opinion is overpriced uh overpriced dlc <laughs> but good game so good game i like yeah it. i mean i can absolutely appreciate that i appreciate it as the game that it is but again i also agree that it probably shouldn't have been charged for as much as it was 
Well, there you go. Those are our opinions on Halo 3 ODST. They seem to be in line with reviewers and other users. And yeah, so on and so forth. That was our first Halo game, surprisingly enough, huh? Yeah, yeah, that that it was. was. We've never really done another Halo game in the series. Uh, But on the chance that you are curious about what other games we have done, we have our ent- the entirety of our episode archives on our website, which is www.memorycardlane.com. Also on our website, you can find a calendar of upcoming episodes where you can hit a submission button on each episode and submit your own review, your own story, your own questions, anything like that that you would like us to read on air and talk about. You can go to our website and submit. You can also find a link to our Discord, where as a community we play games and answer questions like this. And you can also submit your questions there. You can find biographies about Rob and myself. You can find a link to our Patreon if you'd like to support us. There's a whole hodgepodge of things on memorycardlane.com. So go check it out if you've never been there. I always post my show notes. So if you'd like to see where I get my information from, If you'd like to read these old reviews for yourself, if you'd like to laugh at all these reviews for yourself, you can find the links to them all on our website. Also on our website are our social media plugs. I am on Twitter as David is wrong, where I wish video games happy birthdays and all my Rocket League highlights get posted. Rob, what are you doing on social media? Well, Dave, I can be found streaming on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. There you Playing go. whatever flavor of the week it is. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So a little bit of Twitch streaming when you have time. A little bit of Twitch streaming. So, all right. Well, time to wrap up the episode. Uh, each week, we try to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world and its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. Uh, As part of that, we take a step back and we acknowledge what we've learned as well. We do so through a roundtable. So, Rob, what is your big takeaway from today's episode? Well, I had never heard of Halo Chronicles. Uh, I may have heard rumors of a movie, but I I don't recall, honestly, that at all. Um, So knowing that this game came from the idea that there was going to be a movie and a game, like a movie cinematic game, in a sense, is kind of cool and also disappointing that it fell through i envision it like a telltale games episodic type deal i know that's not exactly what it was going to be but that's what's stuck in my head you know um yeah i can see that had a lot of potential uh you know wingnut interactive the game studio that was uh developed between them never actually made a single game it's one of those rare studios that never produce any content whatsoever so and that's my big takeaway. I also forgot about Halo Chronicles. I that was all learning for me. I got to learn all about that. So same Z's. So, well, Rob, before I take it out of here, what would you like to add to today's episode? As always, I just want to take one moment to say thank you to all of those who are listening. We appreciate each and every one of you. And we hope that you find joy in listening to us as we find joy in giving this information and just talking about it. But we also love to hear from you. So talk about it with us. Let us know what you think. Say hello. Whatever you got. Let us know you're there. Yeah, for real. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I'll take it away, guys, because, you know, next week we're going to be looking back at a pair pair of games that launched the biggest media franchise in the world so if you don't know what it is it's not disney it's not star wars it's not the marvel cinematic universe it all started with the need to catch them all we are of course talking about pokemon the first games of which pokemon red and green were released for the game boy back in 1996 and no joke pokemon is the biggest media franchise in the entire world I think I looked it up again the other day and they have brought in something like 98 billion with a B 98 billion dollars since its inception. And there really aren't too many media uh, media 
conglomerates that are close. Like I think to put into perspective, Mario, which we all think is he a big media, you know, uh, thing only has like 30 some billion dollars. So, um, Pokemon is huge. Hey, all I'm saying is that there aren't nearly as many characters that you can make toys and plushies of as there are Pokemon. So that's true. That's Mario's kind of got a lot, a uh, lot of competition to come up against. I mean, yeah. So, but well, anyway, we've touched on Pokemon in a lot of episodes. We've we've met already a lot of people who who took part in the creation of Pokemon. Pokemon has very deep roots that we've talked about, and we're going to talk up. We're, we're going to cover it all again next week. So join us again next week. Come get that knowledge to become the best in the land as we take a gym battling trip down memory card lane Do the thing. Do da ba da da ba da ba da ba